Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As adults get older, foot pain or other complications affecting feet and lower legs may prevent them from maintaining an active, independent lifestyle. Prompt attention to and treatment of foot problems as well as daily foot care can avoid additional health problems and promote well-being and longevity for this population. My guest today is Dr. Erica Schwartz, podiatric physician and surgeon with foot and ankle specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. She will talk about common foot problems among older adults and what causes them. She'll also explain symptoms and treatments for these conditions and what older adults can do to keep their feet healthy. So welcome, Dr. Schwartz, and thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thanks, Cheryl, for having me here today. Okay, well, to get started, Dr. Schwartz, let's just talk about aging. How does aging affect feet and ankles? So aging can affect all of the systems within the foot and ankle. Changes occur to the skin, the vascular system, nerves, muscles, and bones, and that all impacts the foot and ankle. So aging can lead to degeneration of cartilage of joints and plays a major role in progressive structural changes people know as deformities like bunions and and hammer toes. Just as you heard when I introduced, and I'm sure this is true because I know you're going to talk about it some more, but explain exactly why proper foot care is important for older adults as they age. So keeping the feet healthy and continuing to use them to stay active is just so, so important as an adult grows older for their entire body. Um, Proper foot care is just essential in that. Even a small cut can be met with major consequences when a person's healing potential lessens, which is common with aging. So the longer an area of the skin is open, the more potential there is for infection to occur. When the body becomes less able to fight infection or if the vascular system isn't sending enough blood to the area, healing becomes far more challenging. Unfortunately, this can lead to the need for amputation of a toe or part of the foot, and proper foot care and immediate attention to potential issues greatly decreases the likelihood of any ulceration or amputation needs. And so I introduced you as a podiatric physician and surgeon. Are you the only type of medical specialist that helps uh, with problems affecting the feet and the lower legs? Are there others? Certainly. So with so many important systems and things going on in the lower legs, there are many medical specialists playing a role. So podiatrists work with and refer to vascular surgeons, neurologists, endocrinologists, rheumatologists, physical therapists, nutritionists, and primary care physicians every day. Tell us a little bit more about podiatrists. Do you do you have special training then? Is your focus um, primarily on the foot and ankle? So podiatrists, um, you know, after four years of undergraduate education, do four-year medical training. Uh, it's a podiatric medical school. Um, and then following that, do a three-year residency program. Um, so from the beginning of residency training, we are doing everything foot and ankle, though, of course, within that internship type year and, and beyond, 
learning about the other systems as well, but very focused from the beginning on the biomechanics, you know, skin and everything within the foot, ankle and lower leg. And are you usually in uh, private practice or uh, in hospitals or where is the setting where you treat your patients? So podiatrists can be found, you know, every, there are for sure, you know, plenty that do stay in, in private practice and don't visit the hospital much. But um, we have, you know, many hospital infused types of uh, situations, for example, um, at Georgetown and at MedStar Washington Hospital Center, um, there is a fabulous residency program and um, the Limb Salvage Center at Georgetown combines podiatrists with um, plastic surgeons and vascular surgeons all in one place. And so throughout the country, there are those types of of connections now and and podiatrists working within the hospital system, but also many who work in, in private practice. Okay. Well, let's get back to the feet here. Now we know what, uh, uh, who to come and see uh, or who to go and see when we uh, have some foot issues. So first of all, are there certain common health conditions that affect uh, the feet of older adults who may not have other previous medical disorders? So I think the two most common issues I see in the feet of older adults without contributing medical disorders would be something called metatarsalgia and osteoarthritis. So metatarsalgia is pain under the ball area of the foot, under the heads of the metatarsal bones. So this is an area that often can have atrophy of fat, of the fat pad beneath this region in older adults. I always tell my patients, it's an area we wish we could keep the fat and maybe even add a little bit more for cushioning, but unfortunately, it is a place that we lose it from as we age. So osteoarthritis is the wear and tear of cartilage in the joints. And with 26 bones in each foot, there are a whole lot of joints to have damage to with years of use. In addition to that, then, I suppose that there are other just normal issues that that you treat, and that's why I want to hear more about it. And uh, let's start with the toenails. As, as far as I know, there are often toenail problems that older adults have. What what can you tell us about tips for toenail trimming? What what should we know? Sure. So thickening and discoloration to toenails, it's a very common issue in older adults. It can be due to a fungal infection, but also just very commonly dystrophy, which is just damage to the nail plate. And this thickness can make it very challenging to cut the toenails. Often it is just safer to seek professional help. But when trying to trim toenails on your own, you always want to cut straight across and try not to cut at any kind of angle down the sides. Cutting at any angle down the side can often lead to leaving a piece of nail pushing into the skin, and this can be a nidus for infection. And is it possible that maybe podiatrists can treat this on a regular basis, that it's almost better for an older adult to come back to a podiatrist for toenail trimming rather than trying to do it on the, on their own, especially if maybe they have some disability or some other issue? Sure. So one thing um, that unfortunately does sometimes lead older adults to come back to a podiatrist versus not is um, for, for this kind of toenail, what's considered 
by Medicare um, and insurance companies to be routine foot care, you know, the insurance stuff can be an issue um, because Medicare will only cover um, the cost of this type of routine foot care if a person has certain issues, like having diabetes with the lack of blood flow that is adequate or with um, neuropathy or having actually a history of amputation. Um, so it can be a little bit of an issue for, for some um, who would like to come in very regularly for this type of treatment, that it is something that they, they do need to pay for out of pocket. But patients who do have certain issues, um, generally Medicare and the private insurance companies will cover that cost. Even if they don't, I mean, there are plenty of people where it just makes more sense, you know, just less risk if you go to see someone to take care of, of this routine stuff. Good advice. Good advice. Okay. Just want to look at a few other issues that oftentimes older adults have. I was thinking of corns and calluses. Uh, talk more about that. Are, are the over-the-counter treatments that are often you hear about, are, are they recommended? What about prevention practices? Sure. So corns and calluses, they're areas of thicker skin buildup. It's actually a body response where the body is trying to build up a protective layer at an area of pressure or prominence. So mild callusing really does not require any treatment. It's just sort of a protective area. But corns and calluses that cause pain may be treated by a podiatrist with debridement and removal of that skin buildup. For people with neuropathy, so a lack of feeling to the part of the foot, it's important to be treated by a podiatrist to be sure that there's not a greater issue beneath the callus. It's never wise to use acid removal pads to the skin. Though they are readily available in most pharmacies, they can cause a skin burn. I've seen many, many skin infections caused by the use of these acid pads advertised as corn or callus removal pads. Uh, you know, also applying a thick moisturizing cream to the feet each day can make it take longer for a callus to return. Custom orthotics can also help because they change the way pressure occurs within the shoes. And I mean, just in general, just not even walking or standing barefoot and choosing shoes that are more supportive and provide cushioning to the ball and the heel areas of the foot can help to reduce some, some callus return. And what about hammer or clawed toes? I Oftentimes, uh, those are, are evident in older adults. Is there a treatment for that? Can they be prevented? So, so hammer toes are most commonly caused by a hereditary and progressive condition of abnormal muscle imbalance. Over time with aging, this contracted position of the joint can worsen and can become more rigid. The only way to actually fix the position of a hammer toe is surgery. But there are more conservative measures that can lessen the discomfort and reduce the risk of associated ulcerations. Shoe changes, such as a wider toe box and softer materials within the shoe, can help. Padding um, toe sleeves and spacers that reduce the pressure on those different bony prominences. And I heard you say the term toe box for our listeners who might not know what toe box is, can you explain that? Sure. Just sort of the width of the front part of the shoe. So there's plenty of room for those toes without pressure and kind of squishing. 
probably means that those high heels that um, women often wear that are uh, kind of narrow, those are probably not recommended. Would you agree? Not, yeah, I agree, not recommended. We're going to be talking about shoes a, a little bit later. You also had mentioned uh, another uh, condition of bunions. Tell us more about bunions. Why do they occur? What are the treatment options? And I was also wondering, because I believe you're going to have talk about surgery, because I personally have had bunion surgery, but can bunions return after surgery? So, so bunion deformity, it's caused by a change in the joint position. So it's most commonly hereditary and progressive, and it involves flexible ligaments and abnormal foot structure. So while the only way to fix a bunion deformity is surgical intervention, there is significant data to suggest that early and continued use of custom-molded orthotics can slow progression and limit secondary joint arthritis. Use of spacers and bunion shields can, just these cushioning shields, can reduce the pressure on the joint and can put the joint into a less uncomfortable position. Shoes, again, with a larger toe box can help reduce pressure and discomfort on the area. But because, you know, this is a progressive deformity, it is possible for a bunion to recur many years after surgery. But if the correct procedure for surgery is chosen based on the amount of the bunion deformity, recurrence is not very likely. Even if there is some mild recurrence, during that time that the deformity was lessened, there is much less likelihood of developing arthritis at that joint or of pain and less likelihood of issues to the rest of the bones and joints in that front part of the foot. And it's easier to wear shoes then because you've had the bunion surgery and the bunion's not sticking out. Is that correct? True. Yeah. When the position is is corrected, then it generally is easier to wear other shoes. And I heard, Dr. Schwartz, that you mentioned orthotics. Explain what are foot orthotics and inserts. Are there different types? Where would you get them? And what kind of conditions would they uh, be used for? You mentioned bunions already. Are there other conditions as well? Are they effective? How long would you need to wear them? Explain what that is. Sure. So custom molded foot orthotics are devices that are made by a podiatrist in a podiatry office Based on the structure of the foot, it aims to control the amount of motion of the back and middle of the foot away from what's considered a neutral position. So when a person over-supinates, it may look like they have a high arch. When a person over-pronates, it may look like they have a lower arch or a flat foot. So this control of that over-pronation and over-supination can limit the overuse of the ligaments and the joints in the foot and ankle. This also then limits the overuse of the muscles and the tendons within the foot, and actually some coming from higher up in the ankle and the lower leg. So for those reasons, you know, orthotics are very effective in decreasing the symptoms of common issues like plantar fasciitis, neuromas, bunions, hammer toes, tendonitis, and arthritis. Um, orthotics, you know, it depends on the type of material used for the orthotic, but they can last long periods of time. Um, And they are meant to be used, you know, going forward because nothing about the orthotic changes the foot, but when you're using the orthotic, things are being controlled and used in a better position. 
So it's different than um, foot inserts, usually refer to over-the-counter devices that, that may give some support to the arch. And these may reduce some arch pain. And those are things that you can buy in um, usually like a running shoe store or anything's you know, found online nowadays too. Would they be something that you would put in a certain shoe or all of your shoes then? Or would you be limited as to which shoes that you could wear? Sure. So orthotics, different types can be made for different shoes. Some people, you know, wear types of shoes within a certain, you know, athletic shoe, um, you know, uh, a shoe that maybe has some room, has laces, has some, some give. And in that case, often you can have one custom orthotic work in, in all of the shoes that person wears, but other people may wear dress type shoes, especially women, um, versus their, you know, athletic or walking around during the weekend time. And so in those cases, we will sometimes make two different orthotics, one that's more for the athletic type shoe, one that's made more for the dress type shoe. I just wanted to ask, uh, you used two terms that I wanted to educate our listeners about. You said supination and pronation. What does that mean? So it's the position that the joints take within the foot. So um, the, the foot bones move in sort of 3D different directions and not the same as one another where you have a, a joint, where you have two bones coming together. And so generally where the heel bone, the calcaneus, turns outward, um, that would be pronation. And when it turns inward, it's supination. And everybody pronates and supinates during their normal gait cycle, you're supposed to, but you know everybody's different in how much they do that from what's considered sort of a neutral position. And so you can end up with um, different issues based on how far away from that sort of neutral place the bones move because all these bones are connected to one another by ligaments and have tendons coming around them from muscles. Okay, so even... As older adults, uh, their feet age, um, there still can be issues. And in fact, that leads me to my next question about if an older adult has foot problems, and, and we haven't even talked very much yet about foot pain, is that likely to increase the odds of an older adult falling? Such a big issue for older adults. What is the relationship between foot issues and the likelihood of falling? So I think really the biggest foot problem that we think of associated with increasing the odds of falling is something called peripheral neuropathy. This is when there's the loss of sensation in the foot, um, and it can happen associated with certain medical conditions like diabetes, but also can happen without a, a good known reason, just with aging. And it can really affect balance. A person with peripheral neuropathy may have difficulty feeling the ground and then have issues with proprioception, so knowing kind of how they engage the ground. And that puts a person at a much higher risk of falling. And so in the peripheral neuropathy, talk a little bit more about that. Is that something that can be then treated um, so that there are less problems with foot problems? Or is that something that an older adult would have to live with? So when it comes to the concern of 
falling, you know, physical therapy is a good way to try to increase balance and strength and lessen that um, for that type of, of situation. Peripheral neuropathy itself, while there are many treatments to help with the pain that can go along with peripheral neuropathy, there's not a ton that reverses it. So um, if peripheral neuropathy is because somebody has a very high blood glucose level, uh, somebody with diabetes, and it's sort of early in their course and they have a length of time where their sugar level is very high, there, there has been shown to be a period of reversal where if those blood glucose levels get under control and there's just tighter control of that issue, you actually may see the neuropathy reverse. But after a length of time, that becomes much less likely. And I'm, I'm imagining, too, then, that when you have, if a patient comes to see you and maybe is having foot problems and foot pain that could be associated with neuropathy or diabetes, it, I, I was just wondering, do you often then refer your patients then to uh, another healthcare provider so that, um, uh, that they, they can get treated? I was just wondering how that works in terms of uh, the relationship of um, helping the patient get treated for the other issues that might be causing the, the foot problems. You know, if there may be neuropathy, um, I do often refer to a neurologist. That's who would do the testing that gives more information about whether or not this is peripheral neuropathy and which part of the leg, ankle or foot, is being affected by that nerve condition. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. And we are at a point now where we're going to take a short break. In case you tuned in late, we are talking with Dr. Erica Schwartz, who is a podiatric physician and surgeon with the foot and ankle specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. And we're talking about all kinds of foot care, foot problems, and um, having a good discussion. We're going to have more. But in the meantime, we are going to uh, let you know that you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are having a very helpful information session today, interview about foot problems and foot care. And we're going to be talking more about foot care in the second half. And we're speaking with Dr. Erica Schwartz, who is a podiatric physician and surgeon. And so, Dr. Schwartz, we covered a lot of conditions already. And you have mentioned some of the health conditions associated with foot and ankle problems, but I wanted to hear a little bit more about arthritis. Arthritis is something we hear about so much. 
Can arthritis uh, impact feet and ankles of older adults? And what are some of the symptoms and the the preferred treatments that you uh, prescribe? Yeah, so arthritis is very, very common source of foot pain in older adults. I mean, it's something that I see every day, multiple times a day in my older patients, for sure. Um, So the symptoms are joint pain, swelling, and increased areas of bone prominence. Medications like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and steroid injections are often used to decrease the pain and swelling. Uh, More supportive shoes and use of orthotics can also help reduce discomfort. And in advanced cases where these conservative measures fail to adequately reduce pain, surgery can address the the actual joint damage. And actually, let me say, you know, though we see it a lot in older adults, foot arthritis happens actually, I think, earlier than a lot of other arthritis in the body because you're using the joints in your foot all the time. So, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, I'm doing surgery on their great toe joint arthritis a lot. You know, it's one of the things that I actually do most. So though it may get worse and worse as time goes on, it's certainly not something that, you know, doesn't show um, a little bit earlier as well. So for an older adult, is is the conservative treatment always the treatment of choice if possible and then surgery more a the final treatment that one would uh, choose or you would choose? So conservative treatment is the way to go, treatment of choice for everyone to start with. So we always try conservative things first. Surgery is reserved for when conservative measures just do not keep the person able to do the things they, they love to do. Okay. Another condition that you've mentioned off and on now in the first part of the uh, interview is diabetes. And we hear about diabetes so much. Uh, in fact, we had a program uh, last week about, or several weeks ago, about diabetes. Talk more about that. Why might older adults with diabetes have foot problems? Sure. So the elevated glucose levels in diabetics can cause damage to arteries and nerves and can reduce a person's immune response. This makes it much more difficult to heal wounds and increases the risk of infection. So the nerve damage of peripheral neuropathy can make it so that injury and wounds that would otherwise be very painful normally just are not because the person just doesn't feel the same way. And so a wound can go unnoticed for a longer period of time. And this combined with a decreased ability to heal and more likelihood of infection can be a devastating combination. So it's estimated that 25% of all diabetics will at some point in their life have a foot ulcer and that one in five will require an amputation. So much of this can be limited by tight glucose control, whether by diet and exercise or appropriate medication. So it's, it's really critical that anyone with diabetes, but especially older adults who may just be more likely to have other complicating medical conditions, have an endocrinologist as part of their medical team. And and oftentimes, if you're if you somebody is working with an endocrinologist or even a, a primary care physician, and they do have uh, foot problems, is there often a referral then to you to treat the foot uh, problems? Yes. 
Yeah, and I, I think um, many endocrinologists and primary care physicians have sort of gotten into the habit of of saying to their patients, you know, you need to see a podiatrist and an ophthalmologist, you know, they, certain things that they want to have checked once or twice a year, even if their patient isn't having a problem, just so that somebody is is looking at these things. Okay, good advice there. A situation or a health condition that uh, I don't think we hear too much about, but uh, eager to hear more from you is gout. What is gout and what causes it? And when it does occur amongst older adults, why are they diagnosed with this problem and, and can it be managed and prevented? Sure. So gout is caused by a high level of uh, uric acid in the blood. A person can either overproduce uric acid or the kidneys may not filter enough out. And when this happens, the buildup can cause crystals to form in certain joints. And the most common one is the great toe joint. So when this occurs, the joint is red, hot, swollen, and extremely painful. There are medications that can treat the condition. Some treat the acute episode of the crystals in the joint and other medications treat the increased amount of uric acid in the blood. So prevention really depends on figuring out what the source of the increased uric acid is. There are certain foods such as red meat, cheese, and shellfish that can be a stressor. Alcohol can also be an issue. Any of it is most problematic when ingested in higher quantities. So moderation is always best. And increased water intake and hydration can also help. And actually, you know, most of my older patients who have gout, it's, it's usually um, not a new thing for them because I think it's really more of a, uh, I, I see the presentation, the first time presentation, more in people in their, in their 40s, 50s who are very surprised by it, don't know where this came out of. And so um, usually that's where it's, it's this surprise. And I, I find that more of my older patients are much more aware of what, what gout is. And is it more men than women, or are there certain races or cultures that might have that? Maybe because of because what I'm hearing you say is some dietary uh, causes as well. Yeah, you know, I I really find that it runs across all. I've seen lots of women. I mean, maybe maybe slightly more common in men, but um, yeah, I, I see a touch everyone, and I, I practice in. Washington, D.C., and in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and I think in these areas, you know, we, we do have a, a great diverse mix and, uh, yeah, seems to be hit with gout everywhere. Just close to show. There's no discrimination there. It, uh, it, it hits everybody, as you say. So, so I want to turn to more prevention and uh, just making sure that maybe there's no need to come and see you, although obviously there are many conditions that require that. When we're talking about daily practices that older adults should adopt to to keep their aging feet healthy, what do you tell your patients? So the two simple, basic daily practices that I tell my patients, you know, what you really need to do every day just important for feet in older adults, but everyone, um, washing and drying between the toes and applying a moisturizing cream daily. For some reason, people think of, you know, using a moisturizer on their legs, their arms, their face, but not their feet. And, you know, feet, that's where you can have dryness and cracking in the skin that could become a great place for bacteria to enter. So applying a moisturizer every day is really important. 
it is much more about the frequency of use than like what actual product you use. Um, I do, you know, like a, a thick cream. So a thick cream should be used every day to the top of the foot and the bottom of the foot. And I like uh, Eucerin, Lubiderm, and CeraVe, but actually a great resource for products can be found on the American Podiatric Medical Association webpage at APMA.org. So there, um, anyone can go online and find the APMA SEAL program, which recognizes products that have been found to be beneficial for foot health. Well, and, and thank you for bringing up the, uh, the APMA uh, website. I'd like to just digress for a moment. Are there other resources on that website that um, people should look at in connection with some of those conditions that you talked about earlier? Yes, actually. So the APMA webpage, again, it's APMA.org. They, I just looked, you know, recently to see what, what they had on there now. They have a public page, so for patients to look at. Um, and they, they had on there documents available for tips for healthy feet, foot health awareness, and diabetes awareness. Okay. And one other quick question I wanted to add in terms or ask you in terms of daily practices is you say washing uh, the, the feet is a good idea. Uh, is Can too much hot water and having a shower every day be a problem? Because sometimes it just seems like water can really dry out the skin. And I was just wondering whether you recommend that hot showers are a good idea. So... You know, showering every day, I think, is fine. One thing that people seem to, you know, always bring up and want to know about is soaking the feet. And I, I'm really not a fan of that. Uh, soaking, I think, is just too much. It does dry out the skin. So while, you know, hygiene and cleaning and, you know, washing between the toes during a shower or a bath, certainly, but sitting and soaking the feet, I'm not a huge fan of. Okay. Well, we'll remember that and not soak our feet. What about elevating your feet? Uh, talk about the improving the blood circulation or crossing your legs and when you're sitting for a long period of time. Explain what we need to do. Yeah. So, I mean, elevating, you know, if you have an issue with swelling, you know, it makes sense to elevate. But really, the best ways to improve blood circulation, the, the biggest Two, I'd say, are um, just keep walking. So keep moving. That really helps blood circulate. And the other huge one is never smoke. So um, I'm sure now you're going to ask me about smoking. So I will tell you that smoking, I mean, it just has a huge impact on the vascular system. Smoking constricts the arteries. It narrows this, making, you know, narrowing makes it difficult for blood to reach the small vessels in the feet and the toes. And this makes it so much more difficult to heal any cut or wound. So really the huge thing is, is just never smoke. If you do smoke, really think about cessation of smoking. That's always good advice for almost everything that I do on Aging Matters is stop smoking. And, and I, I wanted to just ask you about people sitting and crossing their legs. Uh, any recommendations there about whether that's a good idea as far as blood circulation? So more than the blood, you know, moving is the way to get blood circulating. But 
crossing of the legs, um, you know, often people will come in worried about numbness. That actually is because they habitually cross their legs in a way that they're actually compressing a certain nerve. And that is causing numbness to a certain part of their foot. So, you know, uncrossing, moving around, the best way to go. Okay. And we're going to talk about foot exercises in a few moments, but I wanted to ask you, it's summertime and it's hot. What are the pros and cons of walking barefoot for older adults? I actually cannot think of any pro of walking barefoot, Um, but there are many cons. Uh, Being barefoot allows for a person to step on um, and be harmed by a foreign object like a piece of glass, a needle, or a splinter. It also exposes a person to fungus and viruses, which live on surfaces, especially wet surfaces. Um, And it also leads muscles, tendons, ligaments to have to overwork without support from a shoe. And, And this can lead to injury. In older adults with weakened bone, extended time periods of walking barefoot can increase the risk of stress fractures. And actually, you know, I think about my own mother who, when she moved to Florida full time from living in New York, went from a place where she had like carpets and some wood to all tile flooring. And within the first month that she was living in her house in Florida, she had multiple stress fractures of the metatarsal bones, the bones in the middle of her foot. So that was just from walking barefoot at home. So keep your shoes on. Right. Wear something, especially if you have tile floors. (laughs) And to that point, Dr. Schwartz, we need to know why it's important for older adults to wear properly fitted shoes. You've mentioned it a little bit in terms of the orthotics and inserts, but even in terms of going and buying shoes, what, what should older adults no. And, and specifically, are there certain types of, of footwear that they shouldn't purchase? Yeah. So ill-fitting shoes, they can obviously cause pain and they, they may increase the risk of actual injury. So look for shoes that provide arch support and cushioning under the areas of the heel and the ball of the foot. Shoes that don't have an enclosed back portion or have a heel height over two inches will provide less stability and are just a poor choice for older adults. So older adults should visit shoe stores with well-educated staff members who can help with proper shoe fitting. And your podiatrist can guide you in choosing the best store in your region for this. And are there certain shoe stores that you recommend uh, that do have uh, shoes that are more uh, appropriate for older adults? So I think it is it is very much a regional thing, but in our area, I mean, one store that I would recommend is called Shoe Fly, um, and they have a location in Rockville um, and in McLean, Virginia. So Rockville, Maryland, McLean, Virginia. But you know, in general, sort of based on where you live and and where your podiatrist is, they can probably help guide you to other stores that they know of where the staff has been trained well in shoe fitting. And I also was wondering, I mean, my goodness, sometimes you see the women who are wearing high heels maybe as when they were younger, and I'm not sure whether older women are still wearing high heels, but is there an ultimate issue because of wearing high heels as to the foot problems that might result as somebody gets older? The shoe height, the heel height, 
it's an exponentially increased amount of pressure on the front part of the foot. So, you know, this can really, you know, when it comes to the actual foot and, you know, where that pressure occurs, I think it really does increase your likelihood of arthritis later because of the position that those joints are constantly in. It can increase the pain associated with bunions, but really all data does lead back to it being, you know, a bunion deformity being a hereditary issue. Okay, because I was wondering, since you did talk a little bit earlier about uh, the the toe box being allowing more room for the foot, I was just thinking sometimes, again, as I said, you see these very narrow, pointed high heels, and I don't know if that might have an impact also on kind of reshaping the foot. Just wondering. Yeah, no, much more that, you know, if you have a bunion deformity or you know, starting to move in that direction, a wider toe box is a good conservative treatment measure. You know, it's, it's trying to make it so that you don't have pain, but there's no evidence that the actual shoe is causing the bunion deformity. Okay. I just, every time I see the, someone, a woman wearing very high heels, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be an increased risk of falls as well. So, um, oh, sure, yeah, of course, less, far less stability in a high heeled shoe, and especially the type of heel. You know, a sort of stiletto heel has way less stability than a chunky heel. So, like a wedge is much safer than like a, a heel that's a skinny heel. Okay. Well, we've talked about shoes. What about socks? Why is it important to wear clean, dry socks? Wet socks can cause skin irritation and damage, and it can harbor bacteria and fungus. Actually, in cold weather, wet socks can be a conduit for frostbite. Okay, so do you put on a clean pair of dry socks every day, or or what do you recommend? Dry socks every day, and I mean, for people who are hiking or doing things outdoors where they might have, you know, wet shoes, bringing an extra pair in their pack. Okay, Let's talk about foot exercises and stretches that help to keep feet healthy. Uh, what do you recommend? Well, stretching, you know, stretching the feet and ankles regularly, it increases and improves flexibility. And flexibility can help with that really important action of pushing off the ground, also helps with shock absorption and balance. So stretching can decrease the risk of injury. And if muscles and tendons have been stretched regularly, Using them for an activity, even a new activity, will be much less likely to cause strain and pain. Well, explain some kind of foot exercises that people should do. Moving around just in general is great for your feet. Um, Bringing your toes up on the wall or a step to to increase the stretch of the kind of uh, arch part of the foot. Also um, sitting and sort of mimicking the act of picking up a towel with your toes, with your your foot down on the ground. Okay, well, I I can imagine doing that. And and how often? Every day or a couple times a week? So, I mean, in general, it depends on what the person is doing activity-wise. People who are more active should be stretching before and after activity, stretching their their whole body, their hamstrings, their calves, everything. just the moving around every day is, is a good way to go. If you're not super active, just moving your legs. And I'm wondering if when you're doing foot exercises, I, 
uh, we're talking a lot today about foot. Does that also include the ankle? Does that help to give more flexibility to the ankle and make it easier to move? Sure. Yeah. Just moving everything around gives you that flexibility so that the next time you do it, or if you're going to do something a little bit more intense, you've already gotten that warm up in the joint and with the tendons. So let's talk about a healthy diet. What's the relationship between a healthy diet and uh, foot health? So a healthy diet can influence bone, muscle, nerve, skin, tendon, and ligament health. You know, calcium and vitamin D are critical for bone health, and too little of them can lead to weaker bones and put older adults at higher risk for stress fractures. You know, foods high in omega-3 fatty acids can help reduce swelling with their anti-inflammatory properties. Magnesium can help with muscle and nerve function and may reduce cramping in the foot and ankle or foot and lower legs. Hydration with adequate daily water intake can also help reduce cramping. Vitamin C helps with tissue repair and collagen production, which is important for the health of of the skin, ligaments, and tendons. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of cramping. Can you talk more about that? Um, uh, And I'm even asking that as a personal, because I have cramping sometimes in my toes and even in my calves. What causes that, and is there anything dietary or exercise that can prevent that? So sure. I mean, vitamin deficiencies can have an impact and, you know, that's where the diet part comes in. But I'd say the biggest, the number one reason people have cramping uh, is not drinking enough water. That's the most common reason either during an activity or if you wake up in the middle of the night with like a leg cramp, the Number one thing to start thinking about is increasing how much water you drink each day. And do you hear about that often, Dr. Schwartz, of of older adults having cramping? I do. You know, I I feel like I do hear it a bit more from, from younger adults who just haven't really figured out their own sort of body system when it comes to that yet. Older adults seem to have, you know, more of a, a feel for that. Okay. And I'm I'm also wondering if because older adults sometimes they may be alone, but they may have a care partner or they might be reliant on a family member, what do you see or what do you advise in terms of the relationship of care partners and family members helping uh, older adult family members receive the proper foot care so that they'll stay healthy and and won't have to deal with all these issues we've been talking about. Sure. So family members and care partners, they're extremely helpful when, you know, biggest thing is if they look at their older family members' feet. So they should look between the toes and at the bottom of the feet. It can be really difficult for older adults to do this well on their own. So it's also really helpful if uh, family members and care partners can accompany a family member to their doctor's appointments. Family members often come up with really helpful questions for the doctor and can help remind their older family member later about the recommendations that were made during the visit. And so they come uh, and can take notes and make sure that they get everything that you tell them. Is is that correct? Yeah, and they think of things, you know, to contribute to the conversation, but also, you know, questions that maybe their family, you know, older adult family member had 
mentioned but didn't think to bring up during the visit. Okay. And so what, we're just about out of time here. Uh, you mentioned the, a resource already, the American Podiatric Medical Association. Are there other resources that people can look at on the website or in other places to uh, learn more about foot health? Yeah, so, you know, I honestly, I took a look and trying to find other things. And, you know, there really just isn't, unfortunately, that much that I found out there accessible for the public. I think the American Podiatric Medical Association really has the best setup on their webpage, APMA.org, where they do, you know, a lot of associations have a lot of information for the members of their association. And while APMA has that as well in different sections, they do have a pretty robust page for the public to look for, you know, tips for the healthy feet, foot awareness, and a lot of information on diabetes awareness. Okay. Any final comments that you'd like to make? Yeah, I just want to thank you for deciding to spend this time, you know, talking to your audience on this really important topic of of proper foot care. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Erica Schwartz, podiatric physician and surgeon with the foot and ankle specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. And I want to thank you, Dr. Schwartz, for joining me today. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And there you can learn about all of the radio programs and the TV show episodes that we have produced over the last six and a half years. And you can log on to the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 